extra time, not immaculate grid. This is the bonus show for generations talking about my sports generations. Of course, I am Jonathan, and this is the bonus show for the big show that Steve and I are on. And we have surpassed well over a thousand listens. So again, thank you very much. And we have hit a couple of other milestones. Our most listened to or watched, if you're watching it on video, some of our episodes are video enabled. But our most popular episode is now our nicknames episode. So check that one out if you have missed it. And then our most popular extra time show is actually last week's on leadership. So thank you very much. So we're seeing the listens tick up there. But today's extra time show, just going to focus on a couple of different items from this week. Number one, Deshaun Watson out for the year. And number two, Draymond Green's, what do you want to call it, tomfoolery? Draymond Green's actions against the Timberwolves the other night? And really how these play into each other and how they are connected and actually connected to last week's Extra Time show. So let's just go ahead and jump in. For those that aren't aware, Deshaun Watson, of course, was the heralded quarterback from Clemson that was drafted by the Texans and took the Texans by storm. And of course, did very well with the Texans. And then he got himself in a bit of trouble and was sued by several women who came forward and alleged that he had inappropriate actions with them when getting a massage. And I may get some of the particulars incorrect, and I don't want to go too deep into it because it's not necessarily those specific actions germane to the discussion, but really more about the cloud surrounding them. And again, the level of leadership, setting expectation, and you know, where you put your faith and where you do certain things. So as far as I understand of it, the short of it was he settled out of court with many of these women with a financial settlement. He was not found criminally guilty to any charges. And then, of course, he was suspended by the Texans kind of indefinitely. Then there were news that the Dolphins were sniffing around Watson, and this was when Tua Tagovailoa had often injured already, and there was questions about his durability in the league, and they were looking at replacing him with Watson. So you had Ryan Fitzpatrick that was on the Dolphins, and he was kind of the, the starter and then the backup to Tua. Tua took over, Tua got hurt, Fitzpatrick came back, back and forth, Tua gets hurt again, rumors that Watson's going to go to Miami. Subsequently, Jimmy Haslam, he is the one of the owners of the Browns, 
And of course, he is founder, CEO of, uh, I believe, Flying J or Pilot, you know, large retail convenience store fuel chain. And they basically sign him to the largest guaranteed contract, $230 million of all time. And send draft picks, of course, a most notably a 2024 first rounder to the Texans for Watson. And of course, Watson had to get through his civil suits. He came back, he had some rust, came back again this year, and now he's injured. And I don't like playing the you got hurt, you know, Monday morning quarterback thing. Oh, well, he got hurt, so that's why it was a bad decision. Injuries are a part of the game. They are always a risk. It doesn't matter who the player is. Obviously, some players may have a greater history or a longer history than others. So playing the injury piece and, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty kind of situation, those are always hard to do. My argument, though, is when you have a guy that, that is that radioactive, Deshaun Watson, and you sign him, what is your long-term goal? And when you're signing him, now the Browns do have many say and have had with Miles Garrett and others over the last couple of years, many say that they have a Super Bowl-worthy defense. And they've had, you know, Nick Chubb at running back. Um, they brought in Kareem Hunt, and he's got some baggage with him as well when it comes to assault. And Amari Cooper. And so they've had some skill players and those kinds of things. So arguably, if you are in the Browns organization, you're thinking that you are a quarterback away. And of course, they had Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield basically played his last season with the Browns um, with a torn rotator cuff, separated shoulder. I'm not sure all the details of those injuries, but, you know, he gutted it. He gutted it through. And unceremoniously, they they got rid of Baker. And since Baker has, you know, struggled and this year with the Buccaneers, it, it looks like he's redeemed himself a little bit and remains to be seen on more long-term what that might look like. But effectively, the Browns cast him out. And cast him out after, you know, taking one for the team, presumably. But this is where that leadership comes in. Watson's your best bet? You're going to sell out for him? for the time and the money and the baggage at that time. And this isn't an I told you so. Let's say he was great. Is it still worth it? Let's just flip the script. Let's just say they went to the playoffs. I mean, they're doing really well right now. Let's say he doesn't get hurt. Presumably takes them to, you know, a top seed in the AFC, maybe even wins the division. Is it worth it? When you look at risk 
and Haslam's a business guy and in his business they have grown and done well and you always are going to take some level of risk in business but it's a mitigated risk and it's a risk based on a lot of knowns there's a lot of unknowns too but you don't wildly just chase after things in business very rarely you know do you see that and and maybe you get lucky but more often than not in business when you're just wantonly just jumping out and doing certain things it doesn't work out you spend a lot of money and you just can't make it you don't get the goals that you're you know trying to achieve and when you're looking at getting funding from investors or from financial institutions more often than not if you don't have plans to mitigate that risk you, they're not going to give you the money it's just not going to happen and if you're self-funding it yourself very few people use their own money to go wildly after you know crazy things and maybe you don't even say crazy things but risky and in finance and in money and business you know typically the greater the risk the greater the return i mean that's just a very basic economic principle and the return should be commensurate to the risk but even in the higher risk things you have a business plan that addresses those different types of things you don't run out and create a business on one single customer and that one single customer is a credit risk they don't pay you know they don't do things a certain way they may cut you know your funding you know typically you don't do something like that unless it's like the government some kind of contracted thing that there are guarantees in place that if for whatever reason you know as long as you perform you know there's even a, at least a delayed payout or some kind of penalty payout that you're covered but but short of that very rarely do you do that without some kind of concessions you know maybe it's up some form of upfront payments like all right i'll do business with you but you have to give me a larger down payment or there's a payment schedule in place so you owe me 25 percent up front and then you know another 25 30 percent after 30 days at the halfway mark you know 60 70 80 percent and then the balance on delivery that's how you mitigate mitigate some of those risks depending on the type of business that you're in the type of customers that you're in the way you transact are you a b2b so business to business so are you a business that deals with other businesses or b2c business to customers meaning kind of like consumer products so there's a lot of different ways that you can mitigate risk there but Haslam jumping out and going after Watson is just so strange. They didn't have really any backup plan. There wasn't a backup quarterback situation. You know, they had Jacoby Brissett for, for a year, and they probably would be better off if they still had Jacoby Brissett now to at least try to keep with the momentum. But it's just strange. and. Let's just take Trevor Bauer as an example. So I don't think we will ever know what really happened there. What we do know as a point of fact, it was alleged that he engaged in non-consensual sex with a woman and possibly two or three others. And subsequently, all of those charges 
have been dropped. And there's a lot of conjecture going on now on whether it was a money grab and all these different types of things. And those are all just one-sided pieces of, of information and there's no fact that supports any of it. What is known is though that he has certain, I don't even wanna call it vices because I don't wanna shame somebody for the types of things that they like to engage in as long as they are consensual. But in general, Baseball has determined this is not a guy we want. Because if the Dodgers truly believed and had information, which we know that they do, they have information that's not available to us, the public, they would have kept him. And if they had enough information that exonerated him, or if they had enough information that supported his claims or his side of the story, they would have kept him. No question. So whatever internal evidence that they had or knowledge, right? It's just possible they just had knowledge. Hey, when this guy leaves the clubhouse, he does some stuff that's eh, not necessarily in our values or not necessarily representative of what we think of as a club, whatever it might be. They knew something. So for the people that are out there like, oh, you know, it was just a big money grab and he's a, you know, martyr and he's, you know, all this other stuff. What? The business of the Dodgers determined that he was too much of a risk. They let him go. If he was not a risk or if the risk was minimal, he'd be on a team right now. And if more evidence comes out, if more fact comes out that he is completely innocent, you will see a team sign him to tweet. It would happen. And maybe it still happens. But with the information that's available today and the information that these clubs have that we do not have, they've chosen not to. So let's suppose that the information that they have today, both public and private, again, just because, you know, out here in the space of social media, you have Trevor Bauer saying certain things and whatever not, doesn't necessarily make that fact. That's his position, that's his side. Parts of it, parts of it might be true, parts of it might be false, might be 100% true, might be 100% false. We don't know. And those that try to take sides for him without we don't know, to me is foolish. Why would you put your name behind that? It's just silly. Because until the facts 100% come out, again, why would you put your name behind either side regardless? But, you know, these dudes that are all like, oh, you know, we're just all being uh, targeted and that kind of stuff. Like, really? You don't know. You're not there. You don't have all the facts. And if you're going to go listen to him, that's the same thing going to some bar and like, you know, this bee did that to me and did that, you know, set me up. Silly, stupid. And when you look at the social movements that we've had, you know, even over the last couple of decades, I, I, I'm all for it, right? Vilifying victims is wrong. Conversely, 
falsely accusing people wrong. But as the public, when we don't know, we shouldn't be doing either. We shouldn't be engaging, engaging in either, either because the facts aren't all out. We don't know all the information. And in most instances, we'll never know. But here's something. If the facts are known or enough facts are known that, hey, this guy's not that bad of a dude and he didn't do it, he'd be on a team right now. There's no conspiracy. The guy has enough talent to where he'd be in the league right this minute. So conversely, going back to the premise, let's say everything about him is true. Not a great guy, engages in questionable behavior, you know, takes things to the limit. These women had legitimate gripes against him and maybe even potentially criminal. And a team signs him. I think most people would agree that's on you, team. You're stupid. What are you doing signing that guy to a big contract, guaranteed money, blah, 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 this, blah, 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 that. And oh, by the way, at some point, it's going to blow up in your face. And maybe the guy performs well on the field. Maybe he doesn't perform well on the field and it blows up in your face. It's going to blow up in your face at some point in time. If the facts are known or, you know, the unknown facts and the known facts turn out, hey, this isn't really that great of a guy. People don't really change all that much, right? That's the risk. Same thing with Watson. There is enough known and enough behind the scene facts that is available to these NFL teams that, hey, they went and signed him. The Browns signed him, Haslam signed off on him, which is counter to, I'm going to guess, how he runs his business. And I deal with a lot of large, retailers such as they nobody would go out and do something like that in their regular business so it seems very odd and out of character that they go do it and it seems more an example of ego wanting your team to you know hey here's the best guy available and we're going to go pay whatever it is and he's going to take us over the top and, you, oh, by the way, we have all this risk behind the scenes, not necessarily from even from an on-field risk, but the off-the-field risk. And then, oh, by the way, something happens. In this instance, he gets hurt on the field. But it was just bound to happen. And the contract that they signed him to was crazy. And the other piece that's going to really hurt them, it's not really the money. I mean, Jimmy Haslam and his family and his business and his empire can absorb it, I'm sure. He wouldn't have signed him if he didn't have the money. But what's going to hurt his team, hurt his ego and ability to win is going to be the cap hit. So he's on their cap for like $64 million next year. And I think he might even be at that high today. So that's going to limit your ability to sign other players and keep other players to be able to maintain the level of excellence on your team today. So where I'm going with this and, and the point of all of this is it's interesting to me how some of these sports guys, let's call them what it is, guys, I can't think of any women that own any major professional team in North America. And if there are, please let me know, but not in the major three. But 
and and if they do, excuse me, there are a few more that are family owned. So I guess they're, you know, previously, and I guess previously Georgia frontier of the Rams, and I'm doing this stream of consciousness. But regardless, these guys don't operate their businesses like they operate their teams. Jerry Jones is another example. I mean, that guy presumably was a good business guy, oil guy. You know, maybe he got lucky. And a lot of it is luck, right? In in business, being successful takes a lot. Of, you know, the the elixir is a conglomerate of a lot of different things: gumption, hard work, you know, strategy, execution, a little bit of luck. Sure. Station, who do you know? Who do you not know? Those kinds of things, absolutely. But nothing is, you know. It's not a zero and a one. It's not digital. It makes up a lot of different things. But successful. Hasn't been successful on the field. Hasn't been successful on this field for 30 years. And when he was successful, it was due to one guy. And that kind of eats at Jones. We've seen that. It's been reported. It's, it's, it's fact. So when Haslam signs him, it's like you look at that. It's like that's a lack of leadership. And that's a leadership problem. And then when you put your faith and your money and your support behind risk, it impacts the rest of your players. It impacts the rest of your organization. It impacts your fans, your fan base. So I always find it very interesting when they do that. And it's just, again, back to last week's Extra Time show, lack of leadership. So let's transition to the Warriors. So the Warrior, I mean, I've been a Warrior fan for as long as I can remember. I mean, I was an individual player fan first. Dr. J was my first, you know, introduction into basketball. But we had the Warriors and we had Rick Barry. I was a real little kid. And now that, that was the team. And they were terrible, basically, from that point till you know, just in the last 10 years. So it's interesting to show the type of leadership that the warrior are beginning to exhibit. They chose Draymond over Poole last year and going into this year. And Draymond's had his challenges. He's done, you know, he got in Durant's face. He kicked LeBron in the playoffs, got you know, suspended. So he's come with no short of challenges. And the Warriors have always taken him to task publicly and presumably behind the scenes have taken him to task. And so they must believe, and I mean the Warrior management, Kerr, no longer Myers, Myers is gone, so I guess Dunleavy now, and uh, the Lakeup family must believe that they can contain him, and then by them being the leadership and leaders that they are, they can keep him in line enough and get enough contrition from him that managing him is worth more. To, you know, his contribution on the court is worth you know the amount of management headache. Now, the one thing that's different, though, I think, with Draymond, all of Draymond's antics 
are on the court. He doesn't get accused of doing things crazily off the court. I mean, he's got his podcast and he, you know, he runs his mouth and, you know, hey, you're a younger guy. You got a bunch of money. You're wildly successful. You know, probably got a little bit of uh, room to flaunt and flex. Hey, I've, I've made it. And maybe that's the line. Maybe that's the difference between the warrior and some of these other ones. It's like, hey, we can deal with the on on the court stuff. And we can get it sorted out and we can get what we want out of them. And the moment that he's not ready to buy in and atone. That's the end of Draymond. But I mean, they just signed him, right? They just gave him his money this last offseason. And when you are that good and that smart, like Draymond, and I've had these challenges myself. I'm not suggesting that I am as athletically talented as Draymond, but in the fields that I'm in, you know, I'm very well recognized of being an expert in certain areas and certain fields. But even recently, for myself, you know, I pushed the envelope a little bit much in a public public forum. And even in business, even in when you work with different trade organizations and different things, right, you are subject to consequences based on the actions and things that you say. And in a very public forum, I use the F word. And I didn't say it to someone as, you know, F you. I didn't say it as a F this. I said it more as a question. But in the place that I said it and where I said it was probably not the best forum. It was public. It was in front of a lot of different people across a lot of different stakeholders. And, you know, Rightfully so, I was chastised for it. I was chastised for it by a board member of the trade association. I was chastised by leadership from that trade organization. And I was chastised by um, a handful of others, other stakeholders. And not much, I'm guessing like Draymond, you get pushed a certain amount and then you test the boundaries of your ability to push back. And like Draymond, I underestimated or overestimated, however you want to look at it, the pushback that I would get on my pushback. And it cost me a little bit, it cost me a little bit of social capital. And, you know, I've, I've done these types of things over the years when you have a 30 plus year career. I've done things and said things that although I believed in them, I thought they were true. I thought that by bringing up different things that the topic was appropriate. And I believed in my conviction as far as my belief in the strategy or the tactical components that I was talking about. And in most of the instances, I was right. However, how I delivered 
the message and the information. I was either pushed it too far, used too harsh of language, used in this last instance, you know, a, a curse word in a public forum. And it has cost me in each of those instances because even though the information that I was giving was correct, even though that the vision that I was giving was right, you lose some of the credibility because of the way you're saying it. And then you can be labeled as that guy. And so even though that you're always correct or often are correct or, or providing advice or consultation that is adequate and sound, you can lose some of your audience because of the way you're saying things. And I've suffered from this. And sometimes I've done it accidentally, not even realizing it. And in this last time, I did it very strategically. I did it very specifically, and I did it on purpose. And I did it on purpose to see what kind of reaction I was going to get. And to my surprise, I actually got almost the opposite reaction that I was expecting. And that's where I took a risk, and that's on me, and I have no one to blame but myself. And that's what I think happened with Draymond this last go around. Draymond, in his mind, and I think in general for the most of the team, believed that he was correct in protecting Clay. Gobert goes after Clay, grabs Clay after he and McDaniel kind of get in this skirmish, which was stupid, right? If you look at the very beginning of the play, Clay is kind of you know, half-assedly blocking him out, but the way that he's boxing him out, he's actually just stiff arms him and sticks his hand into his chest and, and kind of grabs his his jersey a little bit. And it's very inconsequential at first. But then McDaniel grabs him back and then they're holding on to each other. And then that's when it kind of turns into a thing. And I'm not saying that Clay was right or wrong in the beginning. I mean it's the very beginning of the game. Why it even became a thing is kind of strange. It, it it clearly shows that maybe there was something going into the game prior. And then when Gobert goes to grab Clay, it's almost like Draymond is thinking, okay, here's my opportunity to test a point. And then not only am I going to test a point, I'm going to see how far the point I can test it to see what the reaction is going to be not dissimilar to what I just did, you know, a few weeks ago in this conference. I was expecting a certain reaction because of the feedback that I was receiving at the time. You know, subsequently, the feedback that I got was kind of the negative reaction of I thought it, people would buy in and say, oh, okay, he's right. What are we doing? How are we doing this? Let's rethink it. Instead, all of that got lost because of the way that I delivered it. Similarly, Draymond's like, all right, I'm going to go protect Clay. And by doing that, I'm going to go put, you know, Gobert in a headlock. And oh, by the way, allegedly there's previous beef between them. Draymond knows apparently that even Gobert's own team and teammates don't really necessarily care for him because you kind of see them, you know, gingerly get into the space. But nobody, you know, if you're in a real beef, and you see what Draymond does 
as how he takes him and puts him in a full on headlock and then starts to pull him back. Don't you think one of his other teammates, the Timberwolves, you know, Gobert's teammates, then takes similar action on Draymond? Or at least try to break Draymond's hold of him? You don't really see that, which is interesting. So there's clearly something known. Again, back to what, what are facts internally and facts externally. Internally, we don't know. We don't know what the previous beef was. We don't know what Gobert's station is within his own team. We don't know what Draymond had going with them prior. We know there was a little bit of beef, you know, a few games ago or a few days ago with Edwards and Draymond, and they were chirping at each other when, you know, Edwards, you know, basically beat them in the fourth quarter. And I'm sure what Draymond was thinking in his head based on, again, using my own experience, is I'm going to make a point, I'm going to test that point, and I'm going to see what happens. Thinking that he's going to get a certain outcome. And maybe his outcome is, I'm going to show these guys I'm tougher than this entire team, and I can do whatever I want to you physically, push you around, and I'm going to take you guys out. And in fact, I know that so much, I'm going to test it to see if you guys do anything. And then when you don't, I've proved my point, and you know what? It's the beginning of the season. I go sit a suspension. Maybe it's three games. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's ten. So what? He gets a five-game suspension. So clearly the Warriors, at least to date, and there's so much evidence. It goes back a ten years almost now that they believe managing Draymond is worth the risk. And the risk, for the most part, has only been on the court. Granted, part of that risk was a finals, presumably a finals win, so they could have five instead of four. That's in there. Another one is they potentially could still have Durant. So then was that another one or two that's in there because of that? Maybe. But outside of that, best record, single season record ever four chips go to the finals seven times six times seven times so managing him is worth that risk and again we're talking about different risk his risk is blowing up on the court getting tech you know technicals getting fined it's not some of this off field kind of stuff and they're willing to show the leadership to say, hey, we don't stand for this. And they don't they don't let anybody else get out of the box. And they set that kind of tone. So it's interesting how you have these two different styles of what's going on and what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you do something wrong and, oh, okay, it has to be a death penalty on everything. Oh, you do something wrong, you're getting let go. You do something wrong, you're fired. People make mistakes. Now, you can argue with Draymond. He's made multiple mistakes and he keeps making similar mistakes over and over again. So if you were in a business, let's say you had a salesperson and they're your number one salesperson and they're causing lots of problems over and over again. If the problems aren't, you know, creating a negative culture within your own building and you can manage them, then maybe you deal with it. But I've seen that where you have salespeople are basically a cancer 
And even though that they're successful, they basically trample over everybody in their organization and they make make things actually harder. And even though that they might be selling a lot, you know, as a leader, you can argue like, you know, we'd be a lot more profitable. We'd even if we didn't sell as much, we'd be better off for a lot of other reasons, including total profit. Then, yeah, you, you know, that's where you got to let them go. But again, someone makes a mistake and you, you, you know, and boom, that's it. I don't I'm not a believer in that, but it's just interesting in the difference. Of displayed leadership. And at least evidence of. You know, past behavior versus future behavior versus current behavior. And how the warrior. Deal with it and have dealt with it during Draymond's entire career. And then just the decision making of, you know, Trevor Bauer, Deshaun Watson and some of these other guys. And, you know, just one last thought is like, you know, just the whole Johnny Manziel experience. Leadership, like. You thinking that guy's so talented that. It's almost like if you if talent is a minimum of 100. And everybody has 100. In the first round, first round draft picks has 100. But being a good citizen, being a good teammate, being all a professional, that has to be 100 as well. So let's say Manziel's professionalism and that rating score was an 80. So to offset that, he has to be 20%. He has to be a 120 on the talent side to be able to at least cancel those things out. And it was clear when he was coming out of college that that wasn't the case especially with all the stuff that was coming out on him. So I just find it interesting. It's like, look, let, let that be somebody else's problem. Lonzo Ball, let that be somebody else's problem. LaMelo as well. Let that be somebody, I mean, you don't hear as much from you know his goofball dad today, but in the beginning, it's like, man, I don't, let's let that be somebody else's problem. I'll, I can take a guy, Peyton Manning and the Ryan Leaf thing. Okay, Leaf might be 20% more talented than Manning. Manning is 20% more professional. And, you know, we're going to get what we need out of this guy to make everybody else better. That other guy isn't necessarily going to do that for us. And it played out. So I just find these things interesting. Anyhow, figured I'd hit up on Watson and Draymond this week since these are all relatively new things this is the extra time show no immaculate grit it's a bonus show for generations talking about my sports generations check out last week's show on coaches and then this coming saturday so in a couple of days you've got a new show and it's on high expectation guys are they busts what is a bust and who's responsible so check that show out with Steve and myself, but this is Jonathan, bonus show, extra time. We'll see you.